and have come here this morning and found some rest and renewal and fellowship with your brothers and sisters. Uh, We are going to be in Exodus 8 this morning, looking at the second, the third, and the fourth plagues that God sent on Egypt because Pharaoh would not release Israel from slavery there. Uh, Pharaoh thought he was God and that Israel should be enslaved to serve him in hard labor. And on the other hand, the Lord, the real God, claims Israel as as his people and wants them to be set free to serve him in worship. And so we've got this contest going on. Uh, but before we get into that, we want to take time to pray and, uh, and take time to be set free to worship God here together this morning. So uh, let's do pray. And if you have any known sin in your life right now, uh, now is a good time to confess that and be forgiven. And maybe you came this morning and you are not quite ready yet to worship God, but now is the time to seek the Lord and tell him that you want to worship him well. So let's, let's take time to pray together and ask the Lord for these things. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of grace. That you are a God who lavishes blessing, not on the deserving, but specifically on the undeserving that you do not show your love to us because we deserve it, but in spite of the fact that we do. Father, I pray this morning that as with David, who prayed, wash me and make me clean, that if there's any sin present in my life, any present in the life of these, your people, Father, that you would wash us, make us clean. You would cleanse us from the inside out as we confess to you right now. And Father, as we worship our way through your word here this morning, Father, I pray that you would be preparing our hearts in this moment to hear and to obey the things that your word says to us. Father, we ask that you would be glorified as we worship you through the word here this morning. Amen. Well, the second plague begins this way. Exodus chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come upon you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the ponds, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. 
But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Please be, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Pharaoh cried. I mean, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs as he has agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Now the second plague is frogs, and we're not talking about a few frogs. We're talking about a lot of frogs. Uh, we're talking about frogs everywhere. When I was a kid, you know, we used to catch toads and frogs and so forth snakes you know we we you know my brother and I we were boys right that's what you have to do that as a boy keep your mother sane and keep her heart in good function right we had a frog that we caught and we put it in a little Fisher Price castle you know had a little dungeon in it you know slid that gate down and then uh we went to go check on it and it was gone and no one said a word for a week and then we heard a blood-curdling shriek from the laundry room, and we knew, hide, mom found the frog. <laughs> and it was smashed flat on the laundry room. You know, she had, it, it got up underneath the pile of laundry and then gotten stepped on, you know, and dried there <laughs> until the laundry was all up from the floor. And, uh, you know, like I say, you've got to keep your mother's heart in working operation. So... Uh, in any case, this is not one frog. This is not a few frogs. This is frogs by the million. All over, everywhere. This is frogs in your bedroom. Frogs in your bed. Frogs in your kitchen and in your dishes. Frogs crawling up the walls and hopping down every street and hallway. And not just on every structure and road and path, but crawling all over everyone. The Nile has just stopped, remember? The first plague was the Nile ran with blood for seven days. And it stank. And it has just stopped. And now all of a sudden, you've got frogs. The air is hanging still with the scent of decaying blood and dead fish. And now you've got frogs everywhere. The only water you've had for seven days has come from groundwater from digging new wells near the Nile. And now, mixed in with the smell of death, is the smell of frogs and slime. 
frogs climbing on you when you try to sleep, frogs in, their, in the bowls when you try to cook or try to eat, frogs and frogs and frogs, and with them a constant croaking. You ever sat out by a pond at night when the bullfrogs are really going? You know, and, there, and, there's, and there's only a few hundred of them, maybe at a little pond. This is everywhere, by the millions. You can't walk down the road without stepping on frogs. And all of their constant croaking, all their general amphibious nastiness is from one end of Egypt to the other. And every one of these plagues, and this one is no exception, is sent specifically as a rebuke to the Egyptian system of worship. And here it's a rebuke to the frog goddess, She is the frog-headed Egyptian goddess of female fertility. Remember how old Pharaoh tried to curse Israel's fertility? Remember what he said? He said, take all your boy babies and throw them into the Nile. And now God repays the favor and says, you like fertility from the Nile? Okay. You want to make sacrifices? To Hecate of my people? Fine. We'll send forth frogs. Do you like to worship the frog goddess? We'll give you all the frogs you can handle and more. And notice the Egyptian magicians here in this little little bit here. Verse 7. The magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. The Egyptian magicians are able for the third time now to counterfeit one of God's miracles. But once again, all they're able to do is increase the level of misery. They're not able to make any frogs go away, but they're able to produce a few more, just in case we were short on the amount of frogs that we had. And so in fighting the power of God, they only make the plague worse. Now look at verse 8. Remember what Pharaoh said in in, uh, chapter 5? When Moses went to him the first time, he said, what? I do not know the Lord. And now he has come to an understanding. Because he says, plead with who? The Lord to take away the frogs. In other words, I now have a clue, at least, as to who the Lord is. Part of the purpose of all these plagues is that the Egyptians and Pharaoh and the people of Israel would all know that I am the Lord and that I'm going to reveal to you my character and the fact that I am a God who punishes evil and who will not tolerate idolatry. And I'm going to show you that through these plagues. But he now realizes a little late that Yahweh is a God of power beyond that of him and his magicians, and that things happened in response to Moses and Aaron's prayers. And notice, too, that Moses gives Pharaoh the right of determining when the plague is going to end. And I think that's to teach Pharaoh that God not only has power to bring the plague, he has power to shut it off anytime he wants. So, Pharaoh, when do you want it to end? Well, how about tomorrow? Why tomorrow? I mean, that seems like idiocy. How about now? 
right? I think what it is, honestly, I think Pharaoh is still stubborn. And I think he's buying time, hoping that there's no connection between God's power and the plague. But that isn't the case. And the next day, in response to Moses' prayer, all the frogs die in their place. Exactly in response to Moses and Aaron's prayers. And that should have been the final plague, because remember, Pharaoh has promised, I'm going to let everybody go. Worship the Lord. I'm done. I, I don't want any more frogs. I'll do whatever it takes to get rid of you people and your frogs. But the thing is, is that Moses only, I mean, Pharaoh only repented of the consequences of his sin and not of the rebellion itself. A lot of people are like that, aren't they? I get into sin, I get wrapped up in something, and I don't like how this tastes. I don't like what has happened to my life as a result of my rebellion against God. But, at the same time, all I really want removed are all of the offshoots and consequences that result. I still want to continue doing what I've been doing. Word of encouragement, if you're a believer, don't be like that. Don't be a slow learner. Don't be like Pharaoh who as soon as there's a little bit of a breather, as soon as things aren't erupting at the moment, decides I'm going to go right back to what I was doing before. That's a sign of a rebellious, unbelieving heart. That a person would repent, not of their sin, but of just the consequences. If God would just take away the consequences of what I'm doing, that would make me really happy. But I don't really want to be in relationship with God. And that's where Pharaoh's at. And as soon as they get some relief, they're right back to their old ways and their old attitudes. And in contrast to that, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote about real repentance. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 7.10. I'll write that down. 2 Corinthians 7.10. This is the difference between real repentance and fake repentance. It says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. And worldly grief is just, I don't like the consequences of this. God, save me from the results of my sin, not save me from my sin. Real repentance regrets the sin. False repentance regrets the consequences. And one calls you to believe the gospel that God saves and forgives sinners when they repent and turn to Him in faith, seeking salvation. The other rejects the gospel and continues to sin, hating the God who brings consequences into their life and hardens their heart against Him, just as thoroughly as Pharaoh is hardened right here. So another plague comes. God is still hoping to soften Pharaoh's heart and to lead him to repentance and to acknowledge him as God instead of himself as God and instead of all the gods of Egypt as God. He wants Pharaoh to finally get the message Another plague comes, plague of gnats. Verse 16, 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. And the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. And the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord God had said. Now, if you notice, as you're reading your text, there are the previous two plagues have a preliminary announcement. In fact, there's a pattern that you go through as you read about the first nine plagues. They're in sets of three. You have the first one in each series starts out with, a, with an instruction from God, go down to Pharaoh early in the morning at the Nile and meet him there and tell him what's about to happen. And then the second plague in the series, God says, go see Pharaoh at his house. Tell him what's about to happen. And then the third plague in the series just happens with no announcement, no warning, just occurs. And so here's the third, of, the third plague. And it just occurs. And it's probably a, a rebuke to either the worship of, Ge, of, of the, the god, the Egyptian god Geb, the god of the earth, or Set, the god of the desert and of violence. Uh, these, and, and what's significant here, too, is that the first two plagues had to do with water. And they had different gods that they worshipped that were associated with the Nile, and then a different God that was associated with the dirt itself. And so God is, is, is showing them, I'm not just the God over the water, I'm also the God of the very dust of the ground. And I can make come forth from it whatever I want. And what comes forth is some sort of vast numbers of small, annoying insects. Uh, the semantic range of the underlying Hebrew word is pretty broad. Uh, it could be gnats. Some, some Bibles translate it that way. could be mosquitoes. could be lice. could be midges, which if you don't know what those are, go down to, the, go down to Florida sometime and walk along the, the coast with no bug repellent, and you will find out what those jokers are. They're the little noceums, and they bite you, and you get a swelling about that big on your leg or wherever they bit, right? Um, and there are millions of these things, whatever they are, these little, these little annoying bugs on every man, woman, and child, every animal throughout the whole land of Egypt. I don't know if it's like... You know, uh, what I picture is kind of like when I went to the Boundary Waters canoe area up in northern Minnesota. When it gets dark, you go to the tent. And I'll tell you why. Because right about dusk, what you hear is a sound on the air. And it's not a plane. It's mosquitoes coming in to your campsite, right? We, if we had to, we, you know, they've got, it's a wilderness area, so they've got little pit toilets every, you know, designated campsites. 
when you step out of the, of the tent, you turn on the bug fogger around you, you know, and you walk to the bathroom and all around you. Breathe in the deet. Feel the healing, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, and there are bugs everywhere. Only it's not just at night, it's in the daytime. It's all day long. It's everywhere you go, these bugs follow you, and they're crawling on you. You know, have you ever had a mosquito in the room and you can hear it? Okay, try to imagine that every place you go, there's that hum of insects. Every place. And they're crawling on you the entire time. Now, all of you women, I know this is your favorite thing to think about, right? Um, you men are thinking, I would be insane by about the third day, right? Swatting these things. Uh, and they can, and the Egyptian magicians try to do something about it, and they can't either summon more bugs or get rid of any. They're just oppressed like everybody else. And this time, they confess, this is the finger of God. In other words, Pharaoh, wake up. But Pharaoh doesn't listen. The magicians know something about God's power, but Pharaoh still won't listen and obey, and another plague therefore has to come. It's the fourth plague, and it starts like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me, or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians will be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand, and on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people, and tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the houses of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, it would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from his servants. I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people, not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and he did not let the people 
go. Well, as I said, all of the first nine plagues follow a similar pattern, so we're back to the second cycle. And God tells Moses, go down to the Nile early in the morning, meet Pharaoh there, and you will uh, make your announcement. And if he refuses, there's a command, and then there's a or else. Uh, Those of you who are parents, are familiar with this kind of statement that you might make to your children. Do this, or else. And, uh, or else what? Or else you will not do this. Or else uh, there will be a swat. Or else there will be no cake. Or else whatever. But in this case, or else there will be flies on the land. If you thought the the previous plague was bad, this one is worse. Uh, Again, this is a, uh, a word in Hebrew with a broad semantic range, but what you have is some kind of flying insect. And then Psalm 78 clarifies a little bit about what kind. It says that the Egyptians were devoured by these things. Now, in other words, this is an insect that bites. This is something that takes a hunk out of you. Uh, so it, it's not house flies. It's not just annoying little buzzing in the windows of your house. This is something that bites. It's black flies, maybe. Or maybe it's mosquitoes. Or maybe, this would be really bad, horse flies. Seen those? You ever been bit by one? Ouch. Right? They chew a hole in you, and it hurts. And it bleeds. And I don't know what's in view here, but I know it's some kind of massive numbers of biting insects. And there are, they're everywhere. And they're on every Egyptian, from Pharaoh on down. But, significantly, they are not anywhere to be found among the people of Israel. And again, it's a rebuke to an Egyptian god. In this case, it's either Utachit, the Egyptian god of resurrection, or this is one whose name you will recognize from the New Testament, Beelzebub, the Egyptian lord of the flies, whom some Egyptians worshipped as a protector deity. And this plague brings this new wrinkle that all of the Egyptians are oppressed by these things, but everybody in Israel is going, hmm, that looks bad. Glad it's not affecting me. Good thing to be part of the people of God instead of under judgment like you Egyptians. God has made a distinction. And so all of a sudden Pharaoh calls Moses in and says, "Uh, we got to talk. I'm going to let the people go and sacrifice to the Lord, but you've got to stay here in the land. And Moses says, no, that's not the deal. We have to leave because you have to understand the kind of sacrifices we want to offer are not the kind that the, your fellow Egyptians will approve of. Because if you remember the Israelite sacrificial system, they sacrifice uh, cows and bulls and rams. Well, 
Cows are sacred to the Egyptian goddess Hathor. Bulls are, uh, are sacred to the Egyptian god Apis. And rams to Ammon and so forth. Right? They have all these gods that have these animals that are sacred to them. And so Moses wisely says, uh, no, nothing doing. Because when we start cutting all these animals' throats, everybody in Egypt will react. Just as if you have Muslim neighbors, you know, you would not want to have, you know, a pig roast next to their house. Uh, or, you know, go down to the Hindu temple and open a, open a McDonald's. You know, uh, or, you know, offer your Jewish friends some bacon. You know, th- they're going to have a, a different kind of reaction than what the people of Israel would have. They'd be deeply offensive. And his, his, he refuses. And so the counteroffer is, okay, but don't go far away. But we're going to go three days. Now, notice in this whole thing, Moses never says, and by the way, we're going to come back. That's never the stated arrangement. Mo, uh, Pharaoh assumes, I think, that they're going to come back, but Moses says, we're going to take a three-day journey. But, of course, Pharaoh promises, and once again, as soon as all the flies are gone, Pharaoh backs, in, backs up on his agreement. He reneges on the deal, and his repentance only lasts as long as the flies. So, as we look at this recounting of three more plagues, what are we supposed to learn? Just a cool story that makes a neat movie? Well, yes. But at the same time, there are some things I think that God has for us here that are eternal truths that are there for us as well. Uh, The first one is this, that God will be glorified either in judgment or in salvation. And he is equally glorified, I believe the scripture says, in both judgment, and in salvation. One of God's purposes is always to reveal his own glory and greatness and majesty and holiness. And he consistently does that through the plagues. Because I believe that he is graciously, even in the midst of all of the pain that the plagues bring, showing the Egyptians and Pharaoh and the Israelites the absolute vanity of worshiping anything other than him. Because, see, in the ancient world, people worshipped all these gods and goddesses over various parts of nature and so forth. And, and you look at Egypt at this time prior to the plagues, and Egypt is the leading nation of the world. They are the, the, the world's sole superpower. They are people who built things that we still cannot figure out how they did it. That the Great Pyramid, as an example, uh, the, the biggest one of all the pyramids that you find in Egypt, is perfectly square within a half an inch. And it is massive. And each of these stones were a multitude of tons. And this was in a day prior to, uh, prior to cranes, prior to power tools, prior to any of that. And it's this massively powerful nation. And it would be tempting, therefore, to assume that the worship of these gods and goddesses is what led to this kind of power and prosperity that Egypt had. But God says, no. 
I'm going to show you through all of this that I am the only God with a legitimate claim to the title of God. Even in judgment, God is teaching. God is revealing himself. God is showing what he thinks about various things. By the way, what do you think God thought of the Egyptian holocaust of Israelite babies? What do you think God thought about that? These are his people. Let me ask you, if if your ruler said to you, you must murder all your sons, what would you think about it? Now imagine that this is your daughter, this is your son being asked to sacrifice their child to an Egyptian god. Throw your baby into the night. What do you think God thought about that? Plagues are God's response. That God is not a God who allows evil to persist. And he is not a God who allows idolatry to persist because idolatry is not just foolish, it is worthless. It is evil because these are gods of wood and stone and they cannot save. And putting your trust in anything that is just a poor, cheap imitation deity is always disappointing, foolish, and wicked. And God is therefore always to be counted on to glorify himself, either in saving his people, those who belong to him, or in bringing judgment on those who are in rebellion. God will be glorified either way. Second thing, real repentance includes not just regretting the consequences of the sin, but turning from the sin itself. Pharaoh is only ever sorry, and we're going to walk through this whole story and all of Pharaoh's stuff, and all of the times where it says Pharaoh hardened his heart again, Pharaoh hardened his heart again, Pharaoh's heart was still hard, Pharaoh wouldn't repent even at this, Pharaoh was still hardened, And by the way, in case you were curious, Pharaoh is still hardened because he's only ever sorry for the results of his sin and never for the sin itself. And he's never really repented of his sin, only the destruction his sin brings. And real repentance regrets both. Real repentance when you really confess to the Lord what you've done. You regret not only what it brought into your life, but the fact that it brought a separation between you and God, and you cannot rest until that is clear. You've got to be sorry, not just for the act of rebelling, but also turn away from the sin that led to that rebellion with every ounce of spirit-filled, grace-empowered effort. I can. And number three, God makes a distinction between his people and the unbelieving. With all the other plagues following the third one, when God judges, he makes a distinction between his people and the unbelieving. Uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's the fourth plague, beginning with the fourth one. And it's true with Noah, remember? God makes a distinction between Noah and his family and all the unbelieving world other than him. 
God makes a distinction with Lot and his family out of all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. God makes a distinction with Rahab out of all the wicked people of Jericho. He saves Rahab and her family. Puts them, by the way, in the lineage of Jesus. God makes a distinction between the remnant of Israel who survives the exile and the massive numbers of people who did not. God makes a distinction between his people, the church, and the unbelieving world at the rapture of the church in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4. And also at the final judgment, God makes a distinction between and a separation between his people and the unbelieving. So the question comes, which side of that wall are you on? Are you part of God's people, or are you an Egyptian? Are you an unbeliever? Are you someone who does not know the Lord and who will be separated from him and from his people one day for all eternity if nothing changes? You don't know for sure where you would go when you die. And by the way, the statistics are all in. One out of one dies. True story. We all are going to face death and then the judgment one day. And the issue is, the fundamental question of all of human existence is, are you part of God's people or are you part of the unbelieving? And if you are part of the unbelieving, let me assure you that just as surely as the plagues fell on Egypt, that eternity apart from God is worse. And it is coming just as surely as they come for Pharaoh in Egypt. And so let me urge you also to repent and believe the gospel. To turn away from the way you've been going living your own life, worshiping yourself and everything you're doing in life as God, and turn toward the living God, the God who loves you, who is not just a God of justice and of judgment, although He is surely that, but also a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of love, who sent Jesus Christ to the cross to save you and me and every person who would put their trust in Him from sin and death and hell. And if you've never put your trust in Him, don't wait another day. Don't wait another minute. Don't wait another 30 seconds. Do it right now. Put your trust in Him and experience the new life that Tony talked about, that Rick has talked about, that Mark has talked about, that I talk about, that lots of people in this building have experienced. That can be yours. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, praise God that you escaped judgment. That you will not be one on whom God's justice falls, but you will be a recipient of His mercy today and tomorrow and forever. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a God of justice and mercy that justice falls on those who continue in their rebellion and reject you forever. 
and that mercy falls on those who, not through any merit of their own, but simply because of your grace, are able to call out to you and say, Save me, God. I am a sinner. And I need deliverance. Sin and death and hell. Forgive me for what I've done. Forgive me for all the things that have separated me from you, Father. I'm sorry, not just for the consequences, but for everything I've done that led up to them. Forgive me. Make me yours, Father, today. In Jesus' name.